It's almost the end of the year. How are you travelling? <laughs> you still have the spring in your step that you had 10 months ago. You know, one of the realities of uh, people uh, when they get to this end of the year is you get to around about November and people are pretty tired. They're starting to feel like they need a holiday. They're looking forward to a holiday and in between them and the holiday is Christmas. And all the pressures that kind of happen with Christmas... Now, normally we would have a message like this right at the end of the year, just before New Year's. But I think that um, a really good place to do a review of the year that you've just had is when you're tasting the tiredness and the busyness of the year that you've just had. Sometimes I think if you get away and you have a bit of a holiday, you have a bit of a break, you can just, you kind of forget about how bad it was. And the reality is that probably for a lot of us, like we've been really, really busy this year. And some of us may be even just saying, I'm not doing that again. And you, you taste the I'm not doing that again right now, even as you sit here listening to me talk. Um, I think there'll be an earnestness in uh, strategizing more effectively when you're feeling tired and you can taste it. Uh, so here's the question that I want to uh, frame where I'm going this morning. Uh, just a little one, just a simple one. Um, who are you and what are you supposed to be doing? That's a good question, right? Like, who are you and what are you supposed to be doing? Let me ask you a few questions. Were you clear on who you are and what you were supposed to be doing this year? Were you clear on what you were supposed to be doing and what you weren't supposed to be doing? And I'm not, I'm not even talking about doing bad things here, Right? That's not the category that I've got here. Were you clear about the good things that you should have been doing and the good things that weren't your things to do this year? You know, who you are and what you're supposed to be doing are connected. Another word that you could use for it is purpose. Did you live according to your purpose this year? Another word which I think is probably more helpful than purpose is the word calling. Now, just to save us some time this morning... There are different understandings and different categories of calling that show up in the scriptures. And uh, David Powlison has written a really helpful um, paper on this. And I just want to nail these down so I can kind of clear a few things away so that we can go where we need to go today. Here's, uh, here's the meaning of calling according to the scriptures. The first one is this. Uh, we see this in the Bible that God calls. He invites every human being to know him. That's a genuine calling that we see in the Bible. Here's the second one. God calls and he powerfully speaks so that dead things come to life. Dead things come to life. The third uh, understanding calling that we see in the scriptures is uh, when God calls, he maps out a life and a walk of thankful obedience. You see that in the scriptures as well. And the fourth one is the one that I actually want to spend our time on today and that's this one. God calls tailor-making you to serve him in the here and now. Francis Schaeffer wrote a, uh, a book, and oh, there's a book that's an accumulation of some of his talks, uh, where he says, there are no little people. That's the name of the book. All of our lives count in the details. And, and the question this morning is, who are you? <laughs> and are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? How has God made you? And where has he given you specific opportunities to serve him? Now, this is a confusing question. And the reason why this is a confusing question is because 
if I just asked you straight out, like, who are you and who has God made you to be? Most of us would have some level of confusion about that because of the racket that goes on. And there's a racket that goes on internally and there's an external racket that goes on so that it's actually pretty hard to work out sometimes who we even are. I mean, you could, if we look at internal pressures, you could be a perfectionist. You know, you could feel really strong shame. If you feel strong, shamely inside, that can be very, very confusing. You can be someone who struggles with the need for approval. And if you feel like you need to get approval, that's going to make things uh, noisy on the inside. It'll make it harder to see who you are. You know, some people really struggle, and this is, this is something I've struggled with. Some people really struggle with their value and their identity being attached to what they do. That can make a real racket internally. You know, maybe you even sit here today and you go, I'm one of those ones that just feels like if there's something good that, that, uh, that could be done over there, I just should. I should always do it. I should always work really, really hard because every good thing that comes across my plate, I need to do it. And we haven't even talked about external pressures yet. I mean, you think about external pressures, you've got peer pressure, which is not just a high school phenomenon. Um, marketing, think about the racket that marketing makes in terms of who you are. Media, the media, Hollywood. You watch a Hollywood movie and you think, I'm supposed to be like that? And, and probably, I think, arguably, one of the most powerful in our age is social media. Now, social media is powerful in confusing people regarding who they actually are. Because you engage with social media and, uh, and, and what you're engaging with is you're engaging by and large with the best bits from everyone else's lives and, and covetous, covetousness and envy and all that sort of stuff just big time comes into play really, really easily on social media. So we see a guy who can juggle six sausage dogs at the one time, right? And we go... Well, obviously, that's what I need to learn, okay? I have to be able to jug six sausage dogs at the same time because that's actually what makes someone great and what makes someone valuable. Now, there is quite a bit of commentary going on and has been going on for a while about the effect of uh, social media on people's identity and how they see themselves. And honestly, you could pick any number of articles, but in the last week, there was an article... Uh, on the ABC News website about social media and I thought I'd just grab it and I'll quote a few things to you out of it and just know this is not a special one. I think there would be, this would be one of probably 50 that have been written this week. In fact, I saw on the ABC uh, News yesterday or the day before they were having a conversation about how problematic social media is in terms of the way that it disintegrates society. Uh, it's not an exceptional article. Uh, but it highlights how we can get confused. This is the article, Why TikTok is Restoring My Faith in Social Media. Let me give you a few excerpts. This is the opening paragraph. I hate to be such a cliche, but social media is making me depressed. Sorry, not making me depressed. I was already depressed, but fanning my depression, giving it an endless stream of reasons to flicker and spread. On Instagram, my cousin's constant travelling makes me wonder how much money she has and why I don't have it. On LinkedIn, I gaze at pages and pages of career paths I could have taken but didn't have the guts or the brains to follow through with. On Facebook, instructional videos and tabloid headlines warp my attention span. 
On Twitter, I'm unwittingly seeking out ways to feel despondent about the state of the world. The way I view myself, my peers and my world is through social media. I'm a child of the internet and as much as I've tried to envision a future for myself, that's not the case. I'm inextricably tied to it. But does social media have to make me feel like this? Is there something inevitable about sharing and consuming this much content that means we end up feeling overwhelmed and anxious? More and more, I'm coming to realise that networks like Instagram are turning me into a version of myself that I don't like. Isn't that interesting? And I have a feeling I'm not alone. Recently, Tavi Gevinson, a blogger turned actress who built her entire career on the internet, wrote in New York Magazine about her complicated relationship with Instagram. In it, she revealed she finds her use of the platform correlates with her own distrust of herself. I think I am a writer and an actor and an artist, she wrote, but I haven't believed the purity of my own intentions ever since I became my own salesperson too. You see the confusion going on there? We'll close with this excerpt. On Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook, we are constantly selling ourselves, trying to convince our closest friends, enemies, co-workers and acquaintances how well we're holding it together. I'm feeling further away from the people on my feed than ever before, but stuck with the sense that I still need to prove something. Isn't that? That's piercing, isn't it? Uh, and there's lots of them out there like that. This stuff is common. You know, there's a real confusion, I think, in our society about identity. And, and part of the reason for it, like if I just drop for a second into... Uh, a biblical way of thinking about it, we, we sit somewhere on a continuum between pride and wanting to talk about ourselves and big note ourselves to confusion that comes from shame. And for many of us, we kind of slide up and back along that continuum. Who you are is harder to answer than what you think, isn't it? And it doesn't matter what age you are. This is not a teenage phenomenon. Who knows that older people... You could, 60-year-olds can be as insecure as 16-year-olds, can't they? <laughs> There's no doubt about it. They can be as unclear about who they are as 16-year-olds. So, let me uh, put a drop in the ocean this morning to uh, help you out with some of these things and get you thinking about it. Here's the, uh, the first section I want to look at. Uh, who are you? You know, who you are and what you do are linked you know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, the way that God's made you and the things that God wants you to do are connected. So you need to know kind of who you are a bit to know the things that you're meant to be doing. Well, how do we know what to look for? Let me give you a few categories. This is just going to be like going to the... Um, the sprints, right? This is just going to be over before you know it, right? But I, there will be some more help for you as we go. So who are you and what are you supposed to be doing? That's, that's the centre of this. Here's the first one. One of the things I think you can look at is you can look at your passions to find out who you are. Like re what really gets you going? What are you prepared to personally sacrifice for without being paid for it? Think about those things. That can help you to know a little bit of who you are. What about this one? Giftings. How has God made you? What spiritual gifts has he given you? What 
what natural talents have you been created with? You could look at that. That would be helpful in, in drilling down into who you are. The uh, third one here is experience. You know, what, what have you been given in terms of your experience and your background? You know, Paul was equipped to be the bridge from the Jews to the nations because he was a Pharisee and a Roman citizen. Like there's something about your background and, uh, and who you are that God would have kind of be part of, uh, of how you would go forward. You know, the, the older women in the New Testament are meant to teach the younger women. They've got some skills and experience and they're meant to teach the younger women how to do things. Training's another one. Where have you grown in wisdom through training? What kind of training have you done? What education have you done? Fruitfulness. Here's another way to kind of look at uh, who are you? How has God made you? Where have, how have you been helpful? <laughs> I don't lead worship. I preach. And there's a good reason for it. Because no one would worship if I led worship. Okay? They just wouldn't. I'm not, I'm not the worship leader. Now, how did I know that I, was, that I could speak? You know how I knew that I could speak? I, I spoke a little bit in church and people said to me, that was helpful. So what did I do? Well, I spoke in church a little bit more. <laughs> and then more people said, that was helpful. So when you do something and it looks like it's helpful, it's fruitful, that, that might be an indicator as to how God's made you. And it could be anything. It could be anything. How have other people noticed your fruitfulness? And then the last piece is not as much a who are you, it's more about what are you meant to do and it's, and it's this one. Like when you do all of those things, the last step really is to look at it and just go, what are the opportunities that sit in front of me that just seem to fit in with all of those kind of things? What are the needs of your time and place, your home, your neighbourhood, your church, your nation? What are the needs of the world? You know, we parents, we need to be teaching our kids not that they get the job <laughs> that pays the most money, but we need to teach our kids. We need to teach them to find the gifting that they have, the skill that they have, the calling that they have from God, and then find how it plugs into what the world needs. That's what we need to be doing. Now, this is like a this is a really quick cook's tour, right? Um, there's a lot that could be said about this and I'm, I'm just going to transition on, right? So if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, that was, that was half helpful. It probably was, okay? But uh, uh, there'll be some more help as we go forward. Let me, let me just add one thing at this point in time. We live in a very individualistic culture and when it comes to finding out who you are, community is essential, you are just not going to land accurately and well on who you are and who God's made you to be just in isolation independently. You're actually going to need other people to, uh, to kind of call it out of you. Let's uh, just go back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. In Genesis 1 verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there are lots and lots of reasons why you need other people. Lots and lots of biblical reasons. In terms of working out who you are, other people are going to be absolutely critical. Other people are going to help to cut through the noise and the confusion 
that goes on in terms of who you think you are so that you can be clear about that. Now, they, other people, granted, can actually create a whole bunch of racket as well if they're careless. Well, I think God's designed that we would learn about who we are from each other. And I think this is an example of it on the screen. Because Adam learns more about his maleness by having Eve there than he would without her, doesn't he? Eve learns more about her femaleness by having a male there, by having Adam there. Do you see the point? They actually need each other, not just to understand that there's some other dynamic that's going on in the world, but they need each other to know about themselves. I think that's really clear. It's really critical. And we are meant to find out who we are from the people that we're in community with. And the church is meant to be really, really good at doing this. I'm not sure that we are necessarily good at it, but we're meant to get really good at identifying who other people are. Now, the phrase that I like to use for this is we need to call out the God that people made in in the person. We need to call that out of them. Now, calling out in our... uh, in our culture, means to rebuke someone or correct someone and often to do it publicly. So I'm not using it like that. I'm really saying that we need to look at each other and see the person that God's created in them and then call it out. That's what we need to be doing. There's a you which God made you to be and one of the tasks of people around you is to call that out. Now, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Because it's a parent's job to see their kids, identify who God's made them to be and then call that out. Why do we need other people to call this stuff out for us? Uh, Because you can't always see it. Sometimes it's confusing and sometimes we're just far too close to ourselves to actually see who we really are. You know, one of the things that we, we, uh, we do is we get really busy doing lots of good things and we just fill our lives up with busyness and it's so like full on that we can't actually see who are we and what are we actually supposed to be doing in this moment. I, um, about three weeks ago I get to uh, have uh, pastoral kind of supervision stuff with Ed Welsh and um, <laughs> he said this line to me uh, about three weeks ago and I thought man if that would just spread like a virus in the project would be a really good place and this this is what he said to me he said you know I've been thinking about you now it it wasn't going to correct me he wasn't rebuking me or calling me out for something in a negative kind of kind of way you know what he was doing is uh he had been thinking about me and who I was and he took the opportunity to actually give some feedback and call something really good out of me now it wasn't you know, Christians can do kind of the, the warm and fuzzies. Does, it, does everyone know what I'm talking about? You kind of do the woman. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about identity stuff. Like this is, this is who I think you are. And you know what he did after he said, you know, I've been thinking about you. He started to tell me what he saw of me and the me that God had created. And you know, that was an insanely powerful moment for me. And I came away from it and I thought, man, if people in the project would go up to each other a little more often and say, you know, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about who God's made you to be. I've been thinking about some of the things that you do. And then dot, dot, dot. See, 
you've got to be in community and you've got to be in close community. If you stay disconnected from people and you just come to church on Sunday, that's not going to happen for you. It just isn't. You need to be closer than that. You know, we need to be reflecting and contemplating on who each other is and then calling it out of them. I mean, Ed's been doing it for me for the last two to three years. I've got another mate, Kurt Peters, who does it quite a bit. Even if we go, even if we go back in the day, uh, five and a half years ago, I sat uh, in an office just over there with Diff Crowther, who many of you know, and he sat there and he looked at me and he said, you know what you should do is you should study a master's and then you should do a doctorate. That's what you should do. Now, I'd kind of thought I was half a chance at a master's and then I laughed out loud at the doctorate bit because I thought that was crazy. But what actually happened in that moment is someone sat there and looked into me and they knew me and they said, this is what I think you need to do. And it was an identity statement. You need to go after this. I can see something in you that you can't see in yourself. See, this is what we need to be doing as a church, right? We need to be identifying and seeing things that other people can't see in themselves and calling it out of them. So let me ask you this question. Who does that for you? I'm not, I'm not asking who encourages you, but who knows you and calls out of you the you that God has made you to be? What community of people sees you like that, knows you like that and thinks about you like that? You know, you, you could start with your family <laughs> or not. But I would just say, even if your family's good with that, don't let it be the sole contributor to you. Who are your close brothers and sisters in the faith? Your leaders, your pastors. Now, we're going to be running a six-week group kind of process. Actually, it's an eight-week all up, but the actual course component part of it is six weeks called renovate we're going to be doing this in term one next year and it's all about restoring identity so if you're sitting here today and you're going yeah thanks Peter. you've given me enough to be dangerous but not enough to be helpful um sign up to renovate let uh joe the chocolate lady um <laughs> or myself or one of the others just like someone know your community group leaders know that you'd be up for that okay well uh, there'll be more to come on that but we, we just want to see um, people with restored identities in this church. And uh, because you get restored people who know who they are, then they, they can engage more clearly and directly in the things that God's called them to do. Now, let me give you a few thoughts uh, alongside fruitfulness and opportunities from the previous uh, kind of flow chart there to guide what you're supposed to be doing. This is the second half of the talk here. What are you supposed to be doing? Here's, here's the first bit. You, you need to be a little strategic in what you say yes to. Some of you, some of you struggle with this. You don't like to say no to anything. <laughs> and you say yes to too much stuff. And if you're one of those people that just says yes to too much stuff, like come down the front, we'll just have a little community group time. I'll be in the group as well with you where you just do too much stuff you're not meant to say yes to everything you know sometimes i think i remember years ago it kind of dawned on me that i was a jack of all trades and master of none and at that point in time i made the decision that i would actually hang up the boots on a few things that um, i can do just so i could focus on the things that i felt like god had called me to do and one of the things that i stopped doing is i stopped playing the drums 
to preach because I felt like God wanted me to preach. Now, I didn't want to be the jack of all trades, but let me just say this. There are some people who their calling is to be the jack of all trades. And it actually comes in particularly handy when you're the head of an organisation because you have to do budgeting, you have to do pastoral care, and you have to, do, I mean, you can go through like six or seven things that you need to be good at. I think school principals are really good. If they're a bit of a jack of all trades kind of person, I think it makes it helpful in terms of their leadership. But if you're kind of jack of all trades because you just say yes to everything, you just need to start saying no to some things. You need to start saying no to some things. All right, second bit. <laughs> Some of you don't say yes to anything. <laughs> you just say no to everything. And you need to start saying yes to something. All right? The scriptures are really clear. I, I dare you, go home and read the whole of the book of Titus. It's like four chapters. And notice how many times in the book of Titus it actually talks about being eager to do something good. This is Titus 3 verse 1. Be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Someone who's an elder or a leader in the church is someone who's eager to do good. And, and it just pops up all over this place. It's like, just find something good to do. So if you're the person who doesn't say yes to anything because you say no to most things, you probably need to be doing more stuff. You need to find more good things to do. And be passionate about it. God gave Adam work to do before sin came into the world. Work's good. The way that we do it is often not good, but work is good. There's nothing wrong, strictly speaking, with work. Be passionate about it. So hopefully I caught most people. Some people need to start saying no, and some people need to start saying yes. Good things can distract us from doing what we are supposed to be doing. Now, there are lots of good things to do. But you're not meant to do every single good thing that there is to do. How do I know that? Because you're not God. <laughs> like you're finite. You sleep like a third of your life. Some of you go, I wish, right? But most of you sleep a third of your life. You, you're just finite. You, just, you can't do everything good. So stop thinking that you've got to try and do everything that's good. Because one of the things that happens, I think, is when we try to do things that are good and everything that's good, we end up not really doing the things that God's actually called us to do. And, you know, what this means is that for some of you, you need to start walking past some good things to do that aren't actually right in the centre of what God wants you to do. Now, don't get me wrong here, right? Some of you might be going... We're going to go for the great thing. I'm just going, no, I'm not talking about the great thing. Every, every service to God is a great thing in the detail. I remember being in a church and we're setting up chairs in this church, right? And I look over and I'm just going, what is that guy doing with that piece of string, right? And the dude was setting up the chairs in the church with a string line, right? Now, I'm just, that's not me, right? You will never see me with a string line in the church here on Sunday morning at quarter past nine. It won't happen. But do you know what I thought? I thought, that is awesome. That guy is an ace at setting things up and he should just knock himself out on that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like if, if you have got a heart for that and you've come in and you've sometimes brought your string line and then you've walked back out, put it back in the car because you just go, those chairs aren't really straight. 
bless your brother or sister, you can bring your string line in and get stuff straight for us. So when I say that you walk past good things to do, I'm, just, I'm not saying that we've all got to go for this great thing, which is what social media kind of teaches us to do, but we walk past the good things to make sure that we're doing the things that God has called us to do. Now, I'm almost done. The things you are specifically called to will not be the only things you do. All right, so I don't want to get any emails from any wives saying they got home and their husband said that washing up's not in my lane. <laughs> All right, I don't want to hear it. Does anyone get to do only the things that they feel specifically called to? I don't think so. I don't think that ever happens. Everyone has to do stuff that needs to be done. You know, there are multiple callings in life too, and parenting is one of them. What I'm talking about is the overall direction of your life of your life. And really what I'm asking is not down to the finest details, but does your overall life have a direction to it which aligns with who you are and what God's called you to be doing? The reality is you just don't always get to specialise. You don't. You just have to do everything. I unpack the dishwasher. <laughs> I, I take the rubbish out. Like There's just things that need to be done. I'm, I'm asking is the overall direction and focus of your life in line with who you are and what God's called you to do? Is, I think, the last, the second last statement. Whilst your life will likely have a particular direction, there will be different expressions in different seasons. There'll be a thread, I think, that runs through it that's connected to who you are. I, I taught in schools for 20 years. Now, I mean, I could ask you, but this could be weird if you give the wrong answer, so I won't. But like, I could ask you, like, can, can anyone see a thread between what I do in the church and teaching in a classroom? Like, there is a thread, right? At some level, Peter's a teacher. And I don't mean a school teacher, I mean a teacher. Peter's a teacher. Um, and I love doing it. There's going to be overlap, but there's going to be different seasons where you're going to be in different places, different positions, but there's going to be this overlap or this thread that's actually going to run through it. All right. Here's a summary statement of all of these. And I'm pushing now into the collective side of things. Because I don't think this reality is just an individual thing. This is a Project Church reality as well. We are supposed to know who we are, individually and collectively as a Project Church, what the needs are around us and what God is wanting us to do. We need to have clarity about that. And I think that happens at least two levels. It's a, there's a corporateness about the clarity about who we are as a Project Church and there's an individual within the corporateness that needs to work out what they're doing as well and who God's called them to be. Read this scripture, I'll tell you a quick story and I'm done. This is 1 Peter 4 verse 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Do you believe that? One person does. There's an urgency. If you think that the end of all things is at hand, folks, Jesus is going to come back. And it's going to be over. This is what Peter's saying. It's going to be over soon. I mean, even if he doesn't come back in your lifetime, you're not going to live that much longer. Comparative to the rest of human history. I'm sorry to break that to you. 
Therefore, if the end's coming soon, what should we do? Well, we should be self-controlled and have a sober mind for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Get busy. And not evil busy. Get busy doing good things. Find out the gifting that God has given you and use it to serve one another. Find out the particular gifting within the broader body of Christ that the Project Church is good at, that we can actually contribute to the broader body. Last Sunday night, um, from 7 till 8.30, we, um, we prayed and worshipped a bunch of us who came out. Okay? And uh, mostly, for me, it was just embarrassing, really. Uh, I spent about an hour and a quarter of the hour and a half wrestling with myself, struggling to get myself and my heart into the line where it needs to be. And I worshipped and I prayed because God says they're good things to do. And you can communicate truthful, good things to your soul by engaging in good practice, in doing good things, even when your heart's not in it. And if you engage in the practices, you can actually get your heart into it. And uh, I was kind of doing that Sunday night, just gone. Um, And then in the last 15 minutes... I watched as a scene played out. Now, it, no one was doing this here. I, for all money for me, it was just like, I think God just spoke to me. That's, and this is, this is what God, this is the image that I saw, or the picture that I saw, right? I, I was raking, not rakey, that's a different team, right? Raking like leaves, okay? I was raking leaves, And God came along to me and said, I'm watching myself have this conversation with God. And God said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm I'm raking. I'm uh, I'm really good at raking. Uh, I can rake, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, I know you can rake. I know that you can do it and I know you can do a good job. He said, but I didn't ask you to rake. And it just kind of hit me in that moment that there was a whole bunch of things in my life. And it wasn't just a prayer for me, but it was a prayer for the project as well. There's a whole bunch of things in my life where I was raking and God never asked me to rake. And it's good to rake. But I needed to get back in the center of what God had asked me to do. And it seems to me like, uh, and it seemed to me at the time that this is kind of the thing that God's doing with us at the moment as a church. It's like, just, can you just stop raking? There's a whole bunch of good things out there you could do. It'd be a good thing to do but can you just get right back into the centre of who I made you to be and what I want you to do? Someone else can rake. <laughs> you do what I've asked you to do. Stay, stay in your lane. You know, and, and that was freeing, right? Because it released me a bit to just go, you know what, I actually don't have to be good at like 35 different things. I can just get in my lane and just go, this is who God's made me to be, this is what he wants me to do, and I can just be really good at that. 
And so you know what I ended up doing? I ended up praying that God would stop a whole bunch of you raking. All right? That, that he would just stop you doing some stuff. It's really good and it's nice to do, but you're not, it's not really in the center of what he's asking you to do. And I asked God that he would stop us as a corporate church raking and doing things that are good to do and they're fine. And yeah, we could do them, but that's not actually what we're supposed to be doing. That we would be a people who do a smaller number of things and do them really well and not, not apologise for failing to do everything. 